Hello and welcome to the NLA podcast with me, Richard Blanco. Today I'm joined by Jasmine Bazran, who is Senior Policy Officer from Crisis. And we're going to talk about how the benefit system impacts on people living in the private rented sector, both tenants and landlords. Now, Jasmine, um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, now, Crisis has proposed a number of changes to the current system. And, and in fact, we're going to start by looking at the four strands of your campaign in this area. I know the first one is to do with benefit levels and how they're calculated. There's a few issues here, aren't there? Because um, in 2014, the government decided that it would lower the rates that they paid to uh, people on housing benefit. Um, It was from the 50th percentile to the 30th percentile, all a bit technical. But basically, it meant that they took sort of lower average rents in an area to to set the housing benefit rates. Um, And... uh, uh, that's caused significant problems to people, hasn't it? I mean, a lot of families were affected, but it also affected single people, didn't it? Yeah, um, so what we've actually seen is, so actually really over the last kind of 10, 10 years, the last decade or so, we've seen a series of cuts to to that housing benefit. So as you said, um, there was a reduction in the level it covered, so um, it went from the cheapest half to covering the cheapest third, more or less, of local rents. Um, but then since then, we've seen even more kind of changes come in. So um, the way it was kind of making sure that people could cover a third of rents was it was tracking rents in the local area. So looking at that third and what level that was at. Um, but then we saw that that no longer happened. So um, that stopped happening completely. It was then increased just by um, the consumer price index, which mm. is a measure of inflation and doesn't reflect rent changes at all. And then they were frozen, weren't they? Yeah, in and then they were frozen. 2014, I think. Uh, no, 2016. Yeah, yes. exactly. Mm. Um, so then there's a complete freeze, and that's currently the situation. Um, so it just means there's been complete detachment from from housing. So the housing benefit is actually not reflecting the local housing markets at all. Um, and we're just seeing it create absolutely huge problems for people, uh, families, single people, couples, kind of everyone that needs that support and is living in the private rented sector. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happened as well was that um, the shared accommodation rate, instead of just being for people um, under 25, that was changed as it was for people under 35. And I imagine that would affect quite a lot of kind of vulnerable people in need of housing who may well be on their own uh, for for a number of reasons. Yeah, definitely. So um, uh, that change, I mean, we've always seen problems with the shared accommodation rate, to be honest, um, simply because it's a bit harder to uh, get that right. So the way they set those rates is they um, voluntarily ask landlords to submit kind of what they're charging and that's the way they can figure out you know the cheapest third um, but if you kind of have less fewer landlords giving that information for a shared accommodation rate obviously affects it much more because you might have a landlord with five rooms and if that landlord can't submit data then you've lost five kind of bits of those prices so it's always been a problem we've seen and then when you've extended that to then under 35 people under 35 you're catching more people within that mm. um, and you know it is really problematic to find things um, to find rents within the shared accommodation rate because we find it's not often accurate anyway and now it's, it's catching kind of a wider number of people so 
um, we are seeing that is, is really difficult. And the other issue there um, is that some local authorities are res- restricting HMOs, which means um, that the amount of rooms that are available to rent to single people um, is potentially reduced. And we've seen that across East London, for example, something like eight local authorities in East London make it harder now for landlords to let to sharers. So I would imagine that that's having an impact too. Um, a couple of the other strands in your campaign... Um, the benefit cap, so this is where um, there's a maximum amount that can be paid to single people or families. I think it's now 23,000 um, is the maximum amount that can be paid to families in London um, and it's 20,000 outside of London and it's lower for single people as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we see, I mean, especially in London, um, that overall cap means... Um, where people kind of need that extra support from for housing especially when it gets too high then or not too high when it meets the cap essentially Mm. um, then their overall amount that they're given to pay the rent is capped completely and that means that they often can't cover the rent Um, but I think what that the benefit cap is is quite a complex issue because it it covers a number of of benefits but what we're seeing kind of really across the country um, so nearly all places in England really across all regions apart from a few places maybe in kind of the northeast um, we are seeing that because the housing benefit levels have been frozen and that's already creating kind of a gap between the the rent people have to pay and then the amount of support they're getting when they really need it so Mm. if you think about kind of um, someone who's had to maybe stop work because they've had to look after someone or have caring responsibilities or um, have been ill and they need that support from housing benefit or now universal credit as it's um, kind of coming from both of those systems. Um, they, what the, the amounts they're getting will just mean that actually more often than not they'll have to find money from elsewhere to kind of cover up the gap in their rent mm. and it's quite significant we're seeing really kind of significant amounts that people have to cover so um, in Cambridge for example last year if you're looking like at a small family maybe living um, kind of two adults two kids needing two bedrooms um, you're looking at them having to make up a gap of around £30 a week Um, which is substantial, especially when you look at um, what that means for the month. And if you kind of take that down to what that means in terms of everyday spending, that's kind of like in the region, that's half a week worth of food. Um, So, you know, people are really being faced with difficult decisions to make of how do you make up that cap in your rent? You have to pay rent, you have to keep the roof over your head. Mm. But, you know, a lot of people are coming to us and saying it's leaving them in these situations where... They have to think about, you know, cutting back on bills, cutting back on food for themselves. Um, often people, you know, they, they want to provide everything for their kids, so um, they're trying to do that, but then it impacts what they can do for themselves. Um, kind of really the essentials we're talking about. So Now, the... in. Uh extension of universal credit to all claimants which is um, going to be happening between now and 2022 so migration uh, to universal credit um, is also causing some challenges isn't it and I know that's the fourth strand of of what you're uh, trying to improve I guess with the benefits system Um, 
I mean, key issues around this are the fact that people have to wait five weeks before they get uh, their first universal credit payment. I know they now get two weeks extra housing benefits, kind of tied them across that, but there's yeah. still that kind of three weeks left yeah. that they have to get through somehow. They can apply for loans, but of course they then have to be paid back. It's quite hard to get alternative payments. That's payments that are, are direct to the landlord. Yeah. Um, although the government have argued they're trying to make that easier. Um, and uh, Amber Rudd did announce as well that more frequent payments, um, uh, more frequent than once a month, might be possible. Um, what are you finding are some of the challenges around universal credit, Jasmine? Um, so I think, yeah, that's a really nice summary. There have been a lot of changes made to universal credit. So um, I would say we've definitely seen a huge shift in kind of how TWP are responding um, to us and, and others, other organisations. Um, so they have talked about making, so there are more frequent payments available and direct payments to landlords. But there is kind of more work that needs to be done to make sure that that happens when it's requested or um, kind of everyone is able to access that as easy as possible. Um, and yeah, we do also see problems with that initial five week wait. So. Um, especially people we're supporting in our services, our clients, they don't really have savings, um, so you can't really um, kind of kind of dig up from somewhere to withstand that five-week wait to kind of cover your expenses during that time, cover your rent, for example. Um, and there are advanced payments available from the government, so you can get your universal credit payment effectively paid in advance but that doesn't mean you then have to pay it back and that's where we start seeing some real problems so it, it means that obviously your monthly amount which um, often if you've got when you do have a gap in between your kind of housing benefit and your um, rent some of that is already going towards that gap to make sure you pay your rent so then you're left with less to live off kind of thing and then um, and then you get money taken off that to pay back Mm. The amount you have to take to borrow to be able to so it compounds the problem, really, yeah, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. yeah. So it's mm. kind of actually all these things link up, and then you've got someone kind of in a really difficult situation, having to budget over really impossible amounts, really, to kind mm. of um, cover their their food and, and bills and things like that. There's a challenge in here for landlords as well. I mean, um, our research from the NLA shows that only fourteen percent of landlords now let to tenants on benefits and. A few years ago, 50% of landlords let to tenants on benefits. Um, and a lot of this is because, of course, tenants are more likely to get into arrears because of some of the challenges we've heard about caps on benefits and um, the five-week delay before universal credit gets paid and so on. Um, are you noticing that fewer landlords are letting to tenants on benefits? Um, so we're, we work a lot with, with private landlords, as you know, um, to support people into the private renter sector. Um, we have really good landlords who are who are very willing to kind of work with us to, to find the best accommodation at affordable rates. Um, I do think our coaches kind of in our services are reporting, especially in London, um, it's becoming more difficult. So um, the landlords are struggling with that a lot more. So um, we provide kind of help to rent schemes. So that gives support to both our clients, The the tenants and and landlords that wrap around support to kind of make sure that that you know a tenancy can be sustained and we are seeing that um, landlords are, are struggling more with I think the changes coming in. Yes, now tell us a bit more about that, Jasmine. This help to rent scheme um, that's to try and help tenants 
maintain a tenancy and stay in the tenancy. Uh, it's about sort of preventing homelessness, isn't it, yeah. really? Yeah, and you work with the tenant and with the landlord, do you? Is that right? Yeah, so um, we kind of work with both sides to make sure that um, we can offer the support that's needed. So um, on, on the kind of tenant side, we provide... Uh, training it's called we call it renting ready and that's really just a package of support to understand the tenancy to be able to maintain it understand you know what's required when you're living in the private rental sector and what's needed um, we provide support with things like deposits and um, guarantees as deposits um, and support to, to landlords so that they know kind of what work we're doing with the tenant and you know discussing any kind of issues that come up um, we obviously do su- provide support around um, helping people when they're on universal credit or um, housing benefit to make sure those claims go through and, and all the support that's needed there to kind of make sure that that gets into place and if there is a need for direct payments to the landlord, for example, setting that up. So it's really just kind of a package of support with, with all those things that actually together are quite, quite a lot. Um, for both sides to, to kind of deal with. So I imagine that landlords actually play a really important role in housing, particularly single people, um, which I know um, uh, some of your projects have, have focused on working with single people, I think, haven't they? Yeah. Um, and, but one of the issues seems to be that because of tax changes that the government has brought in um, and because of difficulties in getting mortgage finance and so on, increasing regulation... Some landlords are talking about wanting to leave the business um, and uh, the government doesn't seem very open to the idea that, you know, this could be a bad thing because actually local authorities desperately need landlords to provide those um, flats and accommodation for um, people who are in housing need. I think what we've seen is, um, I mean, you know, we really have to say the private rental sector is so important um, at the moment. What we've really seen is over the last few decades we've seen a a huge decline in in social housing so um, social housing was really originally designed um, to provide that kind of sustainable housing for people who wouldn't be able to potentially afford living in the private renter sector and wouldn't um, likely be able to kind of own own a home themselves Um, and because we've seen that huge decline in that over the last kind of um, well decades really um, it means that you know, the private rent sector is fulfilling that role and, and need, it's very much needed to support people that we see on kind of very low incomes, needing support from universal credit, so, mm. um, and people who are homeless that need to be rehomed and find kind of a safe, secure home. So that's where we work a lot with landlords to try to provide that support and make sure people can find homes. But, yeah, we are just seeing that because of the, the cuts, the lack of investment into the housing benefit, it's becoming really, really hard to um, find things that are affordable for people that they can kind of manage month in, month out. Because if you're talking about kind of needing to make up 30 to £40 pounds every month towards your rent or week in some, in some places, um, doing that month in, month out, it becomes incredibly difficult. Um, and even though we work more directly with single people, you know, it's, it has a huge impact on families as well. So we're seeing it right across the board. Um, kind of all different kind of types of people really struggling with that. What would you say, Jasmine, to a landlord who says, I'd like to help people perhaps who are in 
vulnerable situations, you know, at risk of being homeless, etc. But I'm concerned that they might not be able to pay the rent because they're going to be on benefits. I'm concerned that they might come with, you know, particular um, problems and needs that could make them uh, more challenging as tenants. What would you say to a landlord who, who you know, has those anxieties? Um, I mean, if they came to crisis, we would uh, we have a great kind of package of support around that, um, and we work really hard with kind of DWP, especially locally, to um, make sure. So, if you're talking about kind of the rent payments, we work with people also around budgeting and um, making sure that they can kind of find ways to pay that rent, and also talk to the landlord about you know what they can do to support that. Um, and we have, you know, some great landlords that we know um, work with us to do that. You know, they understand the difficulties around uh, kind of the housing benefit levels um, and they're kind of very open to um, looking at what, what, can, what can kind of work for both the tenant and themselves. Um, and also kind of, yeah, it's around, you know, as I said, we provide kind of training with our clients and, and work with them so they know what a tenancy um, kind of what's needed to sustain that tenancy and what um, work they need to do on that so um, I'd say don't be scared <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's a really important role and it's you know people need a home so um, it's really great to provide that support and work with landlords who can do that. I'm quite interested in how crisis and the landlord community actually have quite a lot in common given that um, you have a lot of frustrations with the benefit system and landlords also have a lot of frustrations with the benefit system um, and it seems to me we can probably learn a lot from one another because we're, we're both dealing with some of the anomalies, frustrations etc that the system throws up. Yeah and I think you know the levels of housing benefit are a really key point so um, as I said earlier we'd like to see in, in the long term we need more housing that's built kind of at social rent levels to really kind of prevent people from becoming homeless to kind of end homelessness um, completely but right now we need the private rental sector we need it to work and we know it's been it's incredibly difficult when the the levels of housing benefit are so low that they they cover so little kind of in terms of rent so we know in some areas it's as low as kind of 5% of properties are priced within the housing benefit levels. So it's it's really, really difficult. And we know, you know, landlords generally don't set their rates by local like by the housing benefits, sorry. Hey, the, the problem with this suggestion, sorry to interrupt, is the government would argue that if it increases the housing benefit level rates, that could push up rents generally. And indeed, the Labour Party would argue that too much public money is going into the private rented sector via... Um, housing benefit and they would indeed probably argue for, for some sort of control on rents um, and that's one of the reasons why the cap on uh, the total welfare cap was brought in um, really to try and make sure that you didn't have families on £40,000 benefit per annum um, that sort of situation I mean what would you say to those sort of arguments? I think so the, that's one of the this is really kind of a symptom of um, different things not not working so the, the fact that we haven't had um, sufficient build in social housing especially in England for decades has really impacted that so you have so much kind of demand for the same properties you need people um, to live in kind of you know looking at the same kind of things in the private rental sector 
Um, and so our long term is, is very much saying you need to increase the, the supply of genuinely affordable housing. Um, but, you know, that will take time to build. We can't kind of have the housing we need pop up overnight. As, well, as much as I'd like that to, to mm. be possible, it, it just isn't. Maybe in the future with technology. Um, but so we do need kind of housing benefit to cover the cost of rent in the private rental sector. Um, and what we'd ideally like to see in the future is kind of that investment in housing benefit and the investment in social housing. Once you have enough social houses, you know, people that should be accessing and social housing should be there and should be living in those homes. So you will see that shift um, away from kind of living in the private rental sector and struggling. So that's mm. um, really where where we see it. Well, and social housing is still being sold off as well. I mean, how does crisis feel about that? I mean, I think, you know, we, we're really behind kind of building more and, and anything that kind of is makes that difficult is, is obviously going to slow down that process. Um, kind of our own research shows um, you need we need to build around 90,000 social homes in, in England um, for the next 15 years to really address kind of um, the need around homelessness. Um, so, yeah, anything that kind of distracts from that is, is something that needs to be looked at. Um, but yeah, it's very much kind of, we also need a private renter sector to work at the moment. I mean, we're seeing absolutely huge amounts by councils being spent on temporary accommodation because they simply don't have uh, places to put people. They know, you know, if if a council might place someone in the private renter sector and then they can't keep up with the rent, it, it's just another case of homelessness again. Mm. Um, so, you know, some people are going into temporary accommodation. We know it's much more expensive than the private rental sector so um, we had a, a client actually come to us in the northeast um, I'm terrible with geography but I'm com- I'm pretty confident it's the northeast um, and he had um, become homeless after leaving prison and actually he really struggled he was under 35 so he was on the shared accommodation rate and he really really struggled to find anything within that rate I think he was about 28 pounds short a month um, of of kind of of between the rent the kind of rents at the cheapest third and his housing mm. benefit mm. couldn't really find anything um wasn't able to access social housing um and so was at risk of sleeping on the streets he, he literally had no other options um crisis got involved the council got involved the council were able to then house him in supported housing um but actually that cost the council 245 pounds um a, a month, which is an astronomical amount, considering actually he, he you know, he, if the top up to his shared accommodation rate was considerably less, and he mm. w- would have been potentially able to find something. Um, and he says, you know, he doesn't feel he needs supported housing, and actually wants to kind of be able to move and manage his own tenancy. He was doing that pr- previously. Mm. He feels confident and fine to live in the private rent sector. Um, so, you know, you can really see that it's not really working. In terms yes, the of system isn't working in a cost-effective way, really, is yeah, it? Exactly. Yes, yeah. Um, okay, well, look, um, that's it for this podcast. And we'd be very interested to hear any thoughts or experiences that you would like to share. You can tweet us at National Landlord 
or comment on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash National Landlord. And there's just one L in the middle of that word there, National Landlord. You can catch up with previous editions on iTunes or via the News and Campaigns section of the NLA website, which is landlords.org.uk. My thanks to my guest, Jasmine Bazran from Crisis, and to you for listening.